Well, this past Monday, uh, for my day off, Anne and I went to the town of Marblehead on the North Shore. It's about 45 minutes from here. And our actual destination, though, was Marblehead Neck. There's this landmass that's off the shore from Marblehead that you have to get through to through this causeway, this long causeway. And on the northernmost tip of this landmass is a park, Chandler Hovey Park, I think is how you say it. It's got a lighthouse on there, which is a pretty sad lighthouse as far as lighthouses go. But, uh, but it's got this beautiful rock along lining the shore, quite unique looking, gorgeous. And it's got this beautiful panoramic view. You've got on the right, the ocean, and then you look off to the left, there's these historic buildings in, in Marblehead and all these boats in the water from a harbor that's there. It was gorgeous. And as we were there, we ran into somebody who's, who had lived in the area for some time. And he told us about this other place, just a couple of minutes down the coast from there. It was called Castle Rock, which is exactly what it was. There was a castle uh, right on the shore. And in front of the castle, jutting out into the water, was this huge rock. Gorgeous, again, unique-looking rock. It takes you like a few minutes just to walk around the base. And if you're careful, you can climb up on this rock and then just get this stunning view of the ocean and this rocky shore. And all you can hear are waves and seagulls. It was just so restful, so refreshing to us. It was a gift. And as a city dweller now, (laughs) I need those days, those moments, those places to be refreshed, to be renewed, to find some quiet a deserted place. Um, And there's a lot of them around here. I'm finding out more and more. Um, And so that's what I love in our gospel reading in Mark, Mark chapter 6. That's where we're going to be looking at today. Jesus says to his weary disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet, deserted place and get some rest. I love that. That's It says there was so many people coming and going, probably just demanding so much attention from them. They didn't even have a chance to eat, it says. And so Jesus says, come away with me to a quiet place. Get some rest. just, Just imagine being one of those disciples, hearing those words from Jesus, right? And then you all get into this boat, just you and the other disciples and Jesus, and you're just thinking about, you know, how you're going to be so relaxed with Jesus. He's going to refresh you. Here's the captain of the boat who's the prince of peace with you. It's going to be just you and the other disciples and Jesus. And then you look on the shore and something catches your eye. You see these people, lots of people, running, gathering right to where you're going. <laughs> And as of the time you get there, suddenly it's a huge crowd, 5,000 people, in fact. It's not going to be just you and Jesus (laughs) and the disciples anymore. There's probably some disappointment there and that, some frustration. What's going on? And then when Jesus gets there, he doesn't send them away, right? He doesn't turn the boat around and try to go to somewhere else that's more quiet, less people. It says he sees them and has compassion on them. It said he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. 
And he being a shepherd, being the good shepherd that he is and was, taught them. Taught them many things. So many things that it became late in the day. And so you, again, along with the other disciples, come up to him and remind Jesus just how late it is and how it's time probably now for you, Jesus, to send them off into the other towns to get something to eat. Maybe you're thinking how you even had not a chance to eat yet. You're hungry. But then he turns to you and to the others and he says, no, you give them something to eat. And maybe you're confused and you're thinking there's no one amongst us who has that kind of resource. None of us have that kind of money, that kind of food. So you're like, Jesus, what are we supposed to do? Buy food for all these five thousand and then he says what do you have that's always a good question to sit with Jesus with what do you have and you look amongst yourselves and what do you have you have five loaves which would have been just the size of little buns not huge loaves and it says two fish which would have been the size of sardines very small fish (laughs) and instead of saying all right obviously that's not going to work No, what does he do? He gets everybody ready to eat. He gets them to sit in these groups of 50 and 100. And it says, actually, he orders everybody. He makes them sit down in what the green grass, it says. And so maybe you're starting to think of Psalm 23, and you should. And the image there of Yahweh, our shepherd, making us lie down in green pastures, beside still waters, leading us, teaching us in his paths of righteousness. That's happening here and now in this moment as you're there with these people. And and then Jesus takes these little loaves and he holds them up to heaven and he blesses them and he breaks them and he gives them to you and the other disciples to go and distribute. And you're probably thinking, this isn't going to take very long. <laughs> maybe maybe we're going to get to five people, not 5,000 people. But as you give, you find out you never run out. As you give, you don't run out. It's like the poor widow we read in our Old Testament reading who fed the prophet Elijah with this jar of little, a little bit of flour in it. This jug with a little bit of oil in it, it says. That never ran out. She could keep giving. That same thing was happening here and now, not just for a prophet and a family of two, but for 5,000. And it says they were all fed and they were all filled and there were 12 baskets of leftovers. It says, sitting there. I love that. I love leftovers. (laughs) There's so much in this passage to fill our imaginations, to nourish us and guide us, inspire us. One of the gifts of this passage is it highlights for us one of the tensions of our life, especially one of the tensions of our life with Jesus, especially if we're going to follow him in his radical way of hospitality and welcome. And that tension takes place between two sentences Jesus spoke in this passage, one near the beginning and one near the end. The first one is, come away with me. 
by yourselves to a quiet and deserted place and receive some rest. The other is you give them something to eat. So everybody else is filled with God's abundant provision. A lot of our life with Jesus is lived in between those two sentences, which is a place of real tension, I think, if we really take those seriously. On the one hand, we're these finite creatures, limited creatures, we really need to come to terms with, which is not wrong or sinful. We are limited selves with limited resources. We need to be replenished with food, with silence, with rest, constantly, daily, weekly. On the other hand, we're called to this radical generosity to pour out our lives for one another, to trust in God's miraculous, abundant provision as we do so. That's a real tension, I think, in our lives. When, when are we supposed to do one or the other at any given moment? That's hard to know, I think, for a lot of us. Labrie Fellowship is, a, is the Christian community that Anna and I came from before coming here. And when it was started by Edith and Francis Schaefer, when they, um, what happened is, yeah, they opened the door of their home in the Swiss Alps to anybody who would come and offer them food and shelter and the good news of God. And people came. Lots of people came. So much so they had to buy other chalets to house people and they had to have other people come and help them join in the work in welcoming people and caring for people. And miraculously, that's what happened. God provided money for homes and he provided people to help and he provided people to come and things to teach and miraculous provisions in the mail. One time there was a gold bar that came in the mail <laughs> anonymously. Those are the kinds of stories that you hear and were told about. And no one was asked for money. Uh, it, people just were moved by God to, to send in money. And certainly though the workers there prayed, we pray and continue to pray, God provide what we need as we pour out what we have. And you notice how the little you have then gets multiplied. That's something people experience as they do this with Jesus. Now, in the early days, there was a lot of excitement around this. Uh, it was exhilarating. People were coming and going. There were so many people. There weren't enough beds. People sleeping in the living room and in the hallway. And it was really amazing. People were coming to faith, getting revived in their faith, learning how to live out their life with Jesus and their unique vocations in life. People were getting filled in all kinds of ways. But there was a problem. There was no Sabbath in the schedule. <laughs> there wasn't much of a schedule actually at all. <laughs> it was pretty chaotic. There was no come away with me for a time and receive some rest and refreshment from Jesus. And so what happened was the workers, those who were giving all the time, got burnt out. They didn't last very long, typically about a year, and then they were done. Because the doors were always open all day, all year long. So somebody, thankfully, eventually said, we need some breaks <laughs> for this to be sustainable. And so they started giving weekly breaks to people who worked there. 
They started actually every three months taking a month off from people coming in for workers to rest and read and prepare and get replenished. And then people were able to stay a lot longer as workers. People could stay up to a decade like we did. Some people retire there. And of course, in all this, the workers actually had something to share with people. They weren't offering out of starvation, so to speak. Edith Schaefer, again, in her book, What is a Family, described family life like this as a, as a door with hinges and a lock. And she said, the hinges should be well-oiled to wing open the door during certain times, but the lock should be firm enough to let people know that the family needs to be alone for part of the time, just to be a family. If a family is really to be shared, there needs to be something to share. And of course, she was speaking out of experience with her own family in this place of hospitality. And and I have found this, many have found this image of this door super helpful in not just what is a family, but what does it mean to practice hospitality with Jesus? Not just as a family, but as a single person, as a group of friends, as a family of faith. So yeah, I mentioned before how the kingdom, at the center of the kingdom, is a table. At the center of the life of Jesus is a table. What I'm trying to say here today is not far from the table is the door to your home. And that's a door um, that's got hinges and a lock, but it's the door, of course, you go out from. It's also the door that you bring people in through. So hinges, yeah, you go out with these, you you bring people in, and that's where you can obey the commandment of Jesus. You give them something to eat. You start trusting in God's miraculous provisions. You start welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. God wants you to be part of that, you to hear that, and somehow make an expression in your life of that. Doors have hinges. They also have locks that enable you to lock the door so you can be filled. So you can obey the second words of Jesus, or the first words, actually. Come away with me from the crowd and find some peace and quiet. Sometimes that coming away is in your, is you're in your own home behind closed doors. Sometimes it's like going to Castle Rock in Marble or Marblehead. Whatever it is, you have to find a way to shut the door to guests, to the noise of your life, to distractions, to the responsibilities that weigh upon you. I think we need to constantly come back to that in this congregation, in this city, in New England. Christine Pohl, in her book, Making Room, in the the chapter that corresponds to this, actually, chapter 7 in the book, She mentions that those who give themselves to hospitality struggle with these boundaries and without them. (laughs) It's hard to keep these boundaries, uh, but it's probably harder on you not to. Much harder. That's why it's important to see even Jesus, who had this mission to make all things new, as we say here, 
Even Jesus took time to withdraw to a solitary place, many times to pray, it says. This was his practice, even Jesus. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Jesus on this boat in a storm, and it says he's sleeping, and it says even he's sleeping on a pillow. I love that detail. This was an accidental, accidental nap. That was intentional resting and sleeping in the midst of a storm. We need to learn how to follow Jesus in that. When the storm of our life is raging, we feel like there's no time to rest. There's no time to get away. Maybe that's the exact time you need to withdraw, follow Jesus to a solitary place. Find some rest from him. Find some perspective from him. For some of us, the door of our home is always open. And this can come from good motives, right? You, you just see the need out there and you want to meet it with the love of Jesus. And how could you not? There's got to be a real tension there for you if you're a follower of Jesus to have that in you. That's got to be in you. But sometimes that door always open kind of way of living can come from not so good motives too that we need to check in our hearts. It can be, hey, I just want to be known as someone who loves people and is radical towards other people. That can be a motive. It can be, man, I just need to be needed. I don't know how to shut the door. Or it can be just because you're, you don't like being the place of being the one receiving because you're no longer in control. That's not a good way to live. Or it could just be you're afraid of being alone with yourself and your own thoughts. Those are the kind of things we need to check. Maybe walk through with somebody how to check those things. For others, though, the door of our home is always shut and the door of our life. And that could just be a sinful, selfish thing. I'm just about me and making it work for me. Or maybe, you know, that started out as a reasonable thing at some point. Maybe you or your family, you just needed some rest for a season, some healing, some time out. But then at some point, that became a way and became a new mentality. And suddenly the words of Jesus, you give them something to eat, no longer can find an expression in your life as an individual or as a family. And I think we're wrestling with that right now, coming, emerging out of COVID. I know that's not easy. There's a lot of things to think about. But I think we got to be careful. This seclusion doesn't become our new way. A great book that shows us the significance of both closed-door time and open-door time in our lives is Henry Nouwen's excellent book, Reaching Out. It's just become part of our Church of the Cross library. It's back there if you want to look at it or borrow it. But he, he offers a description of the spiritual life in three movements. The first is a movement from loneliness to solitude. The second is from hostility to hospitality. And the third is from illusion to prayer. <laughs> 
So the first movement from loneliness to solitude, I think this is a really significant for one for us. This is closed door time. It's when we close again the doors to the demands and the distractions, responsibilities, the noise of our life. And we actually, though, confront our loneliness, our aloneness that we want to run from. And we learn how to move from there to solitude, to the life that you actually receive in solitude. The second movement from hostility to hospitality is, of course, when we open our doors, when we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. And the third movement from allusion to prayer is that thing that can happen both in in solitude and in community when we gather. But the end of which should be hospitality. Because in prayer, we should be affirming and receiving the welcome of God in Christ. And we should be doing that with the scriptures that then guide us in that and say, as you have been welcomed, welcome one another. Now, what if you know you get the significance of both closed door time, open door hospitality time, but you struggle with when do I do one or the other? How do I order my life in this way? How do I know when to do one in a particular moment? Well, I think one way you could start, and these are just going to be some practical things I'm going to end with, is setting up. Uh, a daily, weekly, monthly routine. This is something of what people do when, when they do something called a rule of life for themselves. You set a, a time, say, for your day, a part of your day for solitude and silence, for prayerfully receiving and hearing God's word. For me, this can only really happen well in the morning. Before everybody gets up, before, in a sense, the city wakes up and is buzzing. That's when I need to do that myself. But it means a time, setting apart a time every week or so many weeks to pursue someone, to plow towards each other, whether that's inviting over somebody for coffee or for a meal. It might mean taking extended retreats every so many months for solitude, for prayer, for refreshment. Sending a time every so many days or weeks for the care of the most vulnerable in our church in greater Boston. And I think it's helpful to work through these kind of routines, these rhythms with someone else, with a friend, a Christ-like friend you trust, who has wisdom, someone who can challenge you. You know what? You're being too safe here. Or you know what? You're being too reckless here. That's what a good friend can do. A good friend is going to encourage you also to take reasonable risks for yourself, for others, for God. They're going to be able to tell you, you don't have enough Sabbath in your schedule. That's not good. That might be downright arrogant on your part. You might be thinking too highly of yourself and what you're giving to this world. And you need someone who you're actually going to listen to and not just brush them off and say, hey, I know, I know that's my issue. Thanks for, for mentioning it. And then just going on. Some people call these spiritual friends. 
They're about friends who are about Jesus and the way of Jesus. And they're for us flourishing in that way. Of course, that's what our triads here can be more about. Another thing to consider is finding a spiritual director. This is becoming more and more popular and helpful in people's lives. This is someone, again, if this is something, someone you want to look into, I can point you in the right direction. There's a lot of resources out there now for spiritual direction. But this is someone who's been trained to help you hear what Jesus is saying to you for this season in your life, this moment in your life. It's helped, they're the kind of people who help you know, when is Jesus saying to me, come away and rest? When is he saying to me, you give them something? They help you, train you in listening in that way. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And I doubt anybody ever does that perfectly. <laughs> but we can get better at it. And that's what spiritual friends, that's what spiritual directors do. They help us know when Jesus is calling us and saying, come away with me. Come and get some rest. And when he is saying, you give them something and watch me provide. Oh, that we would have such ears to hear. Let's pray. Yes, Father, would we have such ears? We thank you for Jesus, who speaks to us through the scriptures, through our prayer time. Give us ears to hear his voice in our lives, in our moments, in our seasons. Help us get better at listening. Help us get better at hearing these words and how they live and work out in our lives. In his name I pray. Amen.